In a short story, Signs and Symbols, Vladimir Nabokov wrote the following. Here was Aunt Rosa, a fussy, angular, wild-eyed old lady who had lived in the tremulous world of bad news, bankruptcies, train accidents, cancerous growths, until the Germans put her to death, together with all the people she had worried about. Today on Check Yourself, the shop on Main Street. Check yourself. Welcome back, Check Yourself listeners. Uh, today we're talking about The Shop on Main Street, 1965 Czechoslovakian film. It won, for what it's worth, uh, the 1965 Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. So, I don't know about you listeners, I am not the hugest fan of the Academy Awards. I, I think I used to be a lot more of a jerk about it. Or at least I used to get a lot more frustrated that the movies I loved weren't necessarily loved by the Academy. Um, it seems, you know, just as an example, I think the Academy, you, you look at the fact that E.T. did not win Best Picture, at least to my memory. I might be wrong on that. I better, I better look up E.T. as I'm talking here. Um, but if it didn't, it should have, right? I think that the Academy is somewhat middle brow and leans somewhat toward message films or films about ostensibly important or large subjects. And E.T., like Raiders of the, Lo- Raiders of the Lost Ark, is just a great, smart, well-made powerful, resonant masterpiece. And because of the fact that it appeals to children too, just like Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's a sense that maybe it's not as serious as something like Amistad or Saving Private Ryan. Although I would argue that in both cases, the cases of E.T. and and, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that they're superior films. So, yeah, you know, Kubrick never got a Best Director nomination, which is absurd. I think Scorsese, it took forever. Um, I'm sorry, Kubrick never never won. I don't know that Paul Thomas Anderson has won, which is bizarre, you know, when you look at that level of generational talent. So, you know, you can take the, the fact that this won uh, Best Foreign Language Film in 1965 with somewhat of a grain of salt. Nevertheless, I think it is an interesting and worthwhile film. It's a black and white film. Uh, it starts happily, even kind of jauntily. There's this music, smiling people. There's an outdoor festival of some kind. But the, the in text, you, you read a bit about Hitler. And it's a reminder that this is uh, not going to be a, a joyride. Um, so a train goes by, there are men on it singing soldiers, this guy in a cap watches. After the train leaves, the guy takes his dog, 
named Essence across the tracks in a little wagon. Um, we cut to a pretty matronly woman who's looking for her husband, Tony, which we'll learn is the guy in the cap. Tony arrives. He had built a trough for a lady. He'd been paid in a little bit of money and two pigeons. She says, I can't pay the grocer's bill in pigeons. She says, would it be so bad if you got a job um, like the others are doing and had to do the Heil, the Sig Heil once in a while? If you had to raise your arm like that, your arm's not going to go numb, right? Plenty of people we know work there. And you can definitely get a sense listening to that of sort of the, you know, the phrase is the banality of evil, right? Um, the fact that many collaborators with the Nazi regime weren't necessarily people driven by anti-Semitism, but people who were looking to get ahead or take care of their family. Things that we generally considered noble aims, right? Anyway, so he's walking, he picks up a horseshoe, throws it over his shoulder, which I guess is for luck, plays hopscotch. Um, the music changes, it becomes decidedly more anxious, and this musical tone is going to continue throughout the, the movie. Too much, probably. I think we hear it too often. Anyway, so there are men hard at work building a structure. It looks to be a tower. He sits back and watches. So there's there are some bigwigs, some soldiers in fine uniforms, including his brother-in-law, uh, whom Tony snubs. He's at home, soaking his feet, listening to his wife nag and berate the dog. Uh, the brother-in-law arrives with Tony's sister-in-law for dinner. The brother-in-law says, oh my gosh, we forgot the caviar at home. And he's not joking. He is clearly doing really well for himself by his collaboration. He's Czech as well, but collaborating with the Nazi regime. Uh, he's got he's got some wine, great food. There's this fight about inheritance. Uh, intimations from Tony that the brother-in-law bribed a judge. Fighting, yelling, while the women are pretending everything is well. So it's this, you know, it's this cramped room. Um, Tony is, and his wife are clearly not wealthy the way that the brother and sister-in-law are. And it's cramped and a little bit anxious. I, I don't know if you've ever been at an anxious dinner. I certainly have. And that feeling that you just want to leave. You know, people are drinking quite a bit. Um, at one point, the brother-in-law says, look, I came here with, with something for you. He gives him a piece of paper. There's a shop, the Lutman shop, uh, button shop, fabric shop. It's owned by a Jew, and you're going to take it over. You're going to be the administrator, the Aryan administrator. So they're drinking. They've had, Tony's had 10 shots. He climbs on a stool and puts a finger to his lip like he's the Fuhrer. And brother-in-law shouts, Sig Heil. Tony goes outside to vomit. Um, if that's a symbolic scene, it's it's uh, not a tremendously difficult one to, to figure out, right? The drunkenness is nice. I think it's well acted. It's pretty believable, which is probably not the easiest thing in the world to do, especially ex extreme drunkenness, which we see here. Um, Tony awakens, hung over the next morning. His wife is smiling. I polished your shoes. Hey, you should be in the shop by now. She warns him not to extend credit to anyone 
just sell things for cash? Uh, the old woman is there at the shop. He shows her his paper. I'm sorry, she says, I don't see well enough to read. So he explains that he's been appointed the, the Aryan manager. She fails to understand it or pretends not to, at least that's what you might think at first, but it quickly becomes pretty clear that she's not pretending. She is somewhat deaf and maybe in the early stages of dementia. She thinks he's a tax collector and she shows him the records that she kept and that her late husband kept. It was a point of pride. The husband had said to her, I'd rather have you starve than not pay the taxes. Um, another man comes in with fish for the woman. He reads the paper that Tony hands him and asks the, the woman to go make tea. Starts yelling at Tony. Tony, you're a fool. This is not a profitable shop. Um, you shouldn't be here. Tony says, look, if I wasn't, if I wasn't here, somebody else would be. Which, again, I think is one of those great justifications you can use. If it wasn't me, it would be somebody else. So, the shop is nothing, he tells Tony. She lives on the alms of the Jewish community. They bring her alms. Your brother-in-law is giving you a, a bone with all the meat sucked off it already. So, they have tea with the old woman. Over tea, the guy tells her that Tony is there to help. And is going to come by as often as he can. Heartbreakingly, she's she's grateful for this. Now, the guy explains the deal. As the area administrator, you're going to get wages from the Jewish community more than you've ever made before. So the next day, the store is not open in the morning. He stops by her house. Hey, it's late. Again, she's somewhat deaf. It takes a little while for her to understand. But she says, look, it's the Sabbath. We never open on the Sabbath. Sabbath or not, he says, business is business. Um, and again, that's kind of a, you know, a somewhat insensitive thing to say. And um, while he may not seem to have any bigotry against Jews, he also doesn't have a, a, an understanding of the culture. You can tell that he's maybe not the most curious man in the world. Um. So he talks to a friend. What am I going to do? We got to open up, right? But I'm not going to, I can't just keep it closed and say it's being closed because of the Sabbath. Finally, he puts a sign up in the window that says closed for inventorying. So he sits there with the old lady at her home and has tea. Uh, he notices that her chair is broken. He offers to come sand, paint, and glaze her furniture, make it as good as new. It's great furniture, he says. It's well made. Maybe a little out of fashion, but I could come fix this. You get the feeling that most Aryan administrators are probably not that close or this close with their Jewish store owners. Uh, she gives him old suits. I think they belong to her, her husband. He puts a hat on and sees himself in the mirror and says, wow, I look like Charlie Chaplin. So he walks with a soldier uh, later and is told that Jew lovers are worse than Jews because they betray their race by helping Jews. We see the old woman working at the shop as he's back at her house working on the furniture. Then we see him in the shop as well. He's struggling to keep up. A uh, lot, of, lot of customers. A lot of buttons. Buttons pretty much all look the same, right? It's not easy. It's somewhat comical. And Afterwards, she 
actually at one point he spills some buttons and she has to clean them up and she's complaining about all the sorrows in her life but after they close she comes to him smiling and she's got the greatest face um she offers him some cauliflower soup gives him a little money the soup's excellent she turns on the gramophone and sits right in front of it singing along and it's this really beautiful moment in the barbershop tony meets uh the cashier or the accountant for the Jewish group, who's a rabbi. So the rabbi says, please don't harm the widow. Don't harm her. And gives him a generous amount of money and intimates that this will not be a one-time thing, but that he will receive this as an income for his help of her. Tony is told by a fellow... um, member of the town that a train is coming they're coming to take the jews away we hear a man being told or relating that he was told to wear his uniform he's going to be playing music uh when when that happens to cheer up the jews as they depart and we see the woman preparing sabbath dinner for tony who she thinks of as her assistant a man uh is beaten dropped from a truck and a sign is placed around his neck. It says, I am a Jew lover. This is what Tony faces, we know, if if not worse, if he interferes with the removal of the old lady. It's night now. He goes to the woman who's sleeping to warn her. You're drunk, she says. He tries to explain, but again, she just assumes that he's this drunken semi-lout. Um, he brings her to the shop to hide, but she thinks that he actually had a fight with his wife. She has a pillow and blanket and makes up a bed there for him. So again, this is a really touching, heartwarming moment that this woman dragged out of bed in the middle of the night at her age uh, is making this bed for this guy. And she reassures him. She says, you know what? People fight. It's going to be fine. Things are going to work out. And she has no idea of what we know that things will not be all right. Things really are not going to work out. He warns her. He tries to warn her, but she doesn't hear it, doesn't get it. He stays in the shop that night. And there are a lot of shadows. It's a black and white film again. And uh, great use of shadow and lights. And it occurs to me as I watch this that this, this guy could be a film noir hero. He's complicated. He's in a difficult situation. He is flawed uh, and tormented. And this will continue to be f- the case throughout the, the film. I read a review of a movie recently by Armand White, who's somewhat of a notorious, um, you hate to say troll. He's really smart. He is... Uh, really serious and he's willing to buck convention um to the extent that you wonder is this guy's taste just flat out wrong all the time because his, his taste can be so bizarre really smart guy and he made the point that in noir films the things that we now view almost as as a trend or as fashion were really meant that they arose from real emotion and real pain. And they were the visual expression of these things. 
And that today when you see noir, it tends to be, unfortunately, self-conscious sort of throwback to these, um, to these better, better, more earnest, more meant films. Regardless, anyway. So he imagines or dreams himself in a sort of heaven. It's surreal. Um, it's overlit. They're moving but not walking. They speak without moving their lips. And he hears church bells in the distance and sees the, the roof of a church. He awakens and she brings in breakfast. So there's a loudspeaker outside and someone is reading rules for the Jews that are assembled there. No firearms, no knives, no sharp objects. He goes outside and sees a Jewish woman who says, hey, it's you. Can you help me find my son? Um, but soldiers hustle her away. He's back in the shop and the old woman is uh, mad. She thinks he's opened up the shop on Sabbath. He's trying to protect her. He pushes her into the back and drinks. And again, there's this very noirish uh, series of moments as he drinks and you can just tell this, this inner turmoil that this guy's in. He rages. He hears the name Katz announced over the loudspeaker and says, Katz, what did he ever do to you? Shave your face? Katz is the Jewish barber. He goes back and tells the old lady that she'll be okay. She's praying. Undoubtedly, she sees him as this drunk fool, right? We will not harm you, Jews, someone says over the loudspeaker. They're told that they're going to work in labor camps, that children will be sent to schools and old people to homes. This is the truth, they're told. The old lady goes to the window. What's going on? She recognizes friends, right? She sees luggage, hears shouting. I don't understand, she says several times, uh, and neither do we. Outside Essence, a dog barks at the door, attracting the attention of some soldiers. Our guy lets the dog in and kicks it, uh, and the soldiers go back to their work. Start packing, he tells the old woman. He's told himself, you know, it's either her or him. They're going to send you home, he tells her. What would, what would they want with you? Look how old you are. So she picks up the suitcase and he says, it's the law. It can't be helped. Again, this is a guy who I think genuinely likes her and he had gotten somewhat close to her. And this is not someone who sees Jews as these enemies that need to be wiped from the earth, but he's frightened for her life, his life rather. And I think all of us would like to think that we would have resisted back then. But if it was at the risk of our lives and our family's, family's lives, many of us maybe wouldn't have. So she understands now. She gets it and she says, a, po a pogrom, a pogrom. And retreats to another room and studies the Torah. He chases her. They, they run around. Uh, she brandishes a weapon to no avail. And the Jews are taken away while she sits in the shop. So it's too late in a way. He was trying to get her out there and get her get her on board. It's too late. And she says, 
He says, I gotta ask your forgiveness. I have to close the shops, he says. He tells her to hide, says soldiers are coming toward the shop. And she screams. He's trying to silence her and save her and himself. And he pushes her again into the back. A couple soldiers approach, but uh, one of them's just using the reflection in the glass to check his appearance and leaves. And finally, the coast is clear. So he goes to let her know that things are all right and realizes she died. When he pushed her, she fell and broke her neck. There are these strange circling shots um, that always come back to him. Tense music playing. And at last he sees a, a hook, finds a little rope, and lets his dog outside and hangs himself. Tony imagines himself back in that heaven that he dreamed of earlier. There's a band playing and he and the old woman dance. So is it heaven? Um, are these the last musings of a dying brain? We don't know. You know, I uh, have written a couple articles about a local synagogue and was really struck the last time I interviewed the rabbi, this was after some anti-Semitic uh, acts across the nation, that he said, you know, unfortunately, we are not going to be able to be as open as we have been in the past. We cannot be as welcoming as we've been because there's danger out there. At the time we talked, there was a, a cop car in their driveway just making sure. He later invited me to a Hanukkah celebration, and I went, and it was really great. And uh, I remember this band came on and played this old Israeli song, a folk song I'd never heard before, but clearly some of the older members of the of the community have because they were had rather because they were. Uh, singing along and and tearing up and it was just beautiful to see and it's heartbreaking to think of how many people never had that moment of, of safety and it's heartbreaking to think too how many people worry that they that they maybe won't Thanks, everybody. This has been Check Yourself. Next week, Marketa Lazarova. Check it!